Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. We are continuing the theme of underrated live-action fairy tale films a little longer. We talk about some that we remember watching as a child and some we've never seen before. Today, we will be talking about the film Ever After, starring Drew Barrymore, Angelica Houston, and Du Gray Scott. And with me virtually is my good friend, Hannah. Hello! Finally, someone other than Christina for the fairy tale theme. <laughs> I know, I know. It feels kind of like cheating because Christina <clears throat> is in the other room and Christina watched this movie with me. Um, but I'm not Christina. It's somebody different. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show again. So, for those of you that are unfamiliar with this film or haven't seen it since childhood, the movie is another adaption of the classic Cinderella story which follows Danielle, a young and intelligent woman played by Drew Barrymore, who lives with her abusive stepmother and stepsisters and is forced to be their slave. Her stepmother, the Baroness, played by Angelica Houston, hopes to marry her eldest daughter off to the eligible prince, named Prince Henry, played by Drew Gray Scott. However, her plans become altered when the prince meets and falls in love with Danielle. The film takes place in early 16th century France during the Renaissance era, and it is realistic than most Cinderella adaptions because there's no magic or fairy godmothers or animal friends to help her. However, what's neat about this movie is that there are characters in it that at one time were real-life people, like Danielle's friend, the great Leonardo da Vinci. In a more contemporary tale of Cinderella, Danielle is a feminist who is opinionated and has thoughts on how her country should be run. She is courageous and will do anything for the people that she loves and cares for, even for the ones that are no longer with her. So, Hannah, what do we think of Andy Tennant's 1998 film, Ever After? I mean, it's one of the best princess films ever made, in my opinion. I think, excuse me, um, I think that grounding Cinderella in a very real time period and having her story be very grounded in values at the time and having no magic or animal friends, like you mentioned, and instead having her overcome her difficulties all on her own, and having her be not afraid to get her hands dirty. The first time she meets the prince, she throws apples at him because she thinks that he's stealing her horse, and she she doesn't recognize him um, because he's got, like, a cloak on or something. The fact that she, like, actively takes charge of her own story and isn't afraid to speak her mind or be different from the other girls that could catch Henry's eye is so interesting. And it easily, easily makes it stand out against the other Cinderella fairy tale adaptations. Like one of my other favorites is the Lily James version, which Mm. don't get me wrong is one of, again, my all time favorite movies because Lily James is incredible in that movie and the production design is just incredible. But so is this one. A lot of the production design still really holds up. And this movie came out in the late 90s, I think. Yeah, 98. Yeah, 98. So, I mean, I just love it. I think it's so well done. And Danielle is such a feminist icon in a Cinderella story, which can often be brushed off as a sort of, oh, well, you know, it's Cinderella. It's the same old, same old. This one flips the script so much and is easily... It's not my favorite Cinderella adaptation or favorite princess movie. One of my favorite movies, hands down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What I always like about this movie is that she's not waiting to be rescued. She's an active agent, like you said. She is the hero of her story. Um, And it's 
really, I always thought it was so cool because it's like reading historical fiction because there's like, it is historical fiction, this movie. And the costumes are amazing. I love Drew Barrymore as Danielle. I, I just like the idea that she's never really called Cinderella. I mean, there is one point where someone references her to it being a cinder girl, but her name is Danielle. Like, all the characters are so refreshing and they're all... Um, very round and they have depth to them like even the step siblings and having one stepsister who I love who is so you know sweet and kind and, yeah, exactly. and it's just so nice like seeing more of the prince having more of a depth of who this person is not just some guy that she meets and all of a sudden they're in love in like the 10 minutes ago song you know and and yeah. so it's it's just so wonderful yeah, and the parents too. The parent Prince uh, Prince Henry's parents have real agency too. And I will confess, I know the actor who plays his mom uh, quite well because oh. she's on British TV show called The Midwife. Uh, has oh. been since it started running about ten years ago. Um, season ten. It has, I think, possibly just wrapped airing in the UK and will be airing this summer over on this side of the pond, which I'm very excited about is a show that my dad and I watch. And I'm quite familiar with her work through that show. So I remember the first time I watched the movie, I was surprised that she was in it. I was like, oh, wow, I know somebody else in this movie. But That's I was so really cool. impressed with how active both the parents are in this story and how they're not just pushy to get the prince married for pushy's sake. There are real stakes at play. The dad is trying to get a marriage contract with Spain. The mom wants to make sure that the crown is taken care of because they're not going to be around forever. And she's, in, she's also an active agent in making sure her son is not only happy, but that he chooses, you know, the right girl at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, he even has that great line where he says when they want to arrange him with the Spanish woman. And he's like, I don't see anyone happy in this room that's had an arranged marriage. And, you know, they yeah. talk about all these things. And what I like about this movie is that it's plausible. Like... The stepsisters in it aren't ugly. Like, it's realistic to think that Marguerite would have a chance with the prince. I mean, they're not dorky, dumb girls. And that's what's also really interesting because they do have a shot with him. Yeah. And, like, Marguerite, super cute. Jacqueline, also super cute. They're not ugly in appearance. They're ugly in their treatment of other people. Yeah. And how they choose to present themselves in one way to some people and in other ways to others. And Jacqueline less so because she's the kinder of the two and she has a redemption arc, which I love. Um, but Marguerite is just nasty. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. I hate her so much. And we can talk about that one scene later. But yeah, what's, what's interesting about Jacqueline is she does let them be abusive to her. Like she lets her sister be abusive to Danielle so she is ugly at the beginning inside as well even though she does become you know a sweeter kinder person but oh my gosh Angelica Houston she is my favorite stepmother of all the Cinderella's Ugh. I mean it's hard it's hard to top such phenomenal stepmothers as Bernadette Peters and <laughs> uh, and Kate Blanchett, Kate Blanchett in the 2015 Cinderella like God, I, if I hadn't realized I was gay before, I certainly did see that. Um, but the the way that Angelica Houston is so conniving in this one, and she's so unabashedly cruel, 
in this in the smallest of ways is so interesting and she plays it so incredibly well and I remember when I first saw the movie she came on screen and I was like where do I know her face where do I know her face and I was I looked her up and I was like oh it's Morticia yeah the Adams family yeah. <laughs> um, so the fact that she went from somebody who you know on the outside looks so dark but actually gives a crap about her sibling or her children where and then she flips the script and goes from somebody who looks like she could be very kind but is so cruel to those around her it's such an interesting way to do it and I think it shows incredible range on Houston's part she does it so well yeah and how she manipulates and like gets Danielle to be vulnerable in situations and kind of pour her heart out and then switches and is like, you're just like a pebble in my shoe. How can I ever love you kind of thing? And it's super tactical, like what she does to her tactful and how she gets her to kind of be like, did you ever love my father? And then twist and turn because there's still that total grudge at the beginning of the film where when the father dies, which I totally forgot. I forgot he died. Um, the beginning like, of this movie is incredibly yeah. dark. Yes, it's so dark. I totally, like, I know, of course, in the story, you know, the, there is no, you don't see the mother at all, but then the father dies when, in, like, the Cinderella 2015 version, he dies when he's on his um, journey or whatever he has to go to for work, and then he leaves a branch for Lily James, and I was getting that confused with this version, and I totally forgot that he dies before he even leaves to his trip, and how the Angelica Houston, the Baroness, kind of holds this grudge against Danielle that he said his last words, I love you to Danielle and not to her, which, I mean, what does she expect? He is her daughter. They've been married for like 10 days, but... <laughs> <laughs> They've been together for like two seconds in the parents yeah. things. But no, I think it's so interesting the way that it's done because even in that moment, you can see that she cares about her husband. She does. Uh, it's not just a means to an end for her. And something that really gets my goat about some Cinderella adaptations is that they sort of, you know, they toss away the relationship that the stepmother would have had with the father. And they make it seem like she just hates Cinderella for hating's sake. But I really liked with this adaptation that they make it very clear why the stepmother has this grudge against the Cinderella character and why she hates her so much. And they make it clear and they make it obvious and they don't throw away that relationship. It's very much a sticking point between the two of them. And it's what both of their, it's what their sort of feud revolves around. His, the Mm -hmm. presence of the dad is still so incredibly felt, even in the third act of the movie, when the Baroness just continues to be, at her worst. She's she's at her oh. worst in that third act. And so the ghost of the dad is still very much present in those moments because of that one small action of, in his death, saying those words to Danielle instead of the Baroness. And it's really interesting, too, how in that scene, uh, the Baroness turns away as soon as he's, like, dead and she's, like, clutching on to another person. But Danielle, in attempt, after she's being dragged away, right, she's trying to be taken away by the other servants, and you can hear her saying, leave me, leave me, and because she doesn't want to leave her dad. Mm-hmm. And so it immediately shows the contrast between the two and how their relationship to the dad impacted them. It's so yeah. interestingly done, and I didn't notice that till my third watch through yesterday. Yes. Well, but even it's so incredibly done. Well, even the moment when 
just before he dies and he's looking at his hand and you can tell that he might be having a heart attack or a stroke. And Danielle says, um, we always, it's tradition, we wait uh, for him to wave when he gets to the gate. And how they just kind of throw away that tradition, the step-siblings and the mother, and they just walk away right after he leaves. And, you know, that just breaks my heart because, you know, the the step Baroness would have had a bit more time with him if she had actually been there when Danielle was running to her father's side. But of course, she just like her selfish self, selfish self, she just uh, walked away instantly and didn't yeah. want to take the time to say goodbye to him. I mean, it's kind of on her, but it's just so well executed. It's incredibly well executed, and kudos to Angelica Houston for doing such a vile role and doing such an amazing job with it. Like, obviously, she's gone on to do so many other amazing things in her career, and she's a very well-respected actor uh, in in the business, especially for her work in the '90s. But this, I think, is like one of her peak roles. This and Morticia, it's what yeah. I know her best for. I know she was on that NBC series Smash back in the early 2010s, um, but this is what she's most well known for besides. Morticia, and I think oh, she yeah. does an absolutely incredible job with it. She does a very good job at making a villain that you want to hate so badly, but you love the performance of it mm. so much. Yes. I was wondering, have you ever seen, I've never seen this movie, but she's also really well known for The Witches, which has like been remade by Anne Hathaway, I think, last year. I haven't seen either versions, but apparently she's really good in that, too. From the early I mean, it 90s. wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. She's 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 good at everything she does. Uh, yeah. she can't go wrong. And I like that she's sort of typecast into this niche because she does it so incredibly well. Which I realize might be frustrating for her trying to get other work, but it's a niche she does incredibly well, and you can tell she has fun doing it. Like she pours so much into her performance, both as Morticia and as uh, and as the Baroness. It just it, it's so good. Oh, yeah. She's so horrific in this. Like, she's so cruel. She's not just, you know, like Lady Tremaine in the original Cinderella where, you know, she throws away the key. But she's just, oh, she's just when you think she couldn't get any worse. I mean, she literally, this film is very adult-themed. She actually, like, they don't show it, but, you know, Denise is has been whipped by her. Like, she literally whips her. Yes, yeah. No, she's... It's intense. It, 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 and, and, yeah, and they have that third act conversation, her and Danielle, after the ball, and you don't often get these scenes between Cinderella and the stepmother where they're just having a conversation. Um, and I think this one is really important, too, to, in that third act because it reestablishes how they see each other now. Like, Danielle is no longer looking for a mother figure out of her. They're, they have a conversation before the ball, and you can tell Danielle still is searching for some way to make this woman her mother in some way because she never knew her mother. But you can tell in that conversation in the third act that she no longer has any sort of respect for the Baroness. Mm -hmm. She no longer is searching for that because she knows that the Baroness can never give her what she wants. And it sucks that it took so long for her to get to that point, but the fact that she finally realizes it and doesn't pretend about it anymore, she just says, she says to her, I'm not going to give you the respect that you deserve because you have not given me the respect that I deserve. And it's really, yeah, really powerful. So powerful. Yeah. 
And, and I like that she's not looking for her approval anymore. She doesn't need that abusive love because, look, she doesn't even show that love to her own children. Like, I mean, obviously she loves Marguerite the most, but she only loves Marguerite in order to get into the royalty. I mean, right away when uh, Denise refuses to make them breakfast, the other sister, Jacqueline, is pretty much put in that position and has to do the boiling of the water and make the eggs so she really doesn't care about anyone but herself yeah and even at the end of the movie when uh they're like sentenced to servitude in the castle she says to marguerite all right well you go and do that i'm management i don't yeah. have to do any of it but they both get put in their place <laughs> um and that's one of my other favorite things about this movie is that there's no sort of forgiveness arc Ugh. for for the 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 worst of the two stepsisters and the stepmother i appreciate what they did in the in the Lily James version, in that they had Cinderella, you know, stick to her values and like preach forgiveness yeah. overall, and like redeeming her in that aspect, and leaving her leaving her stepmother to you know lie in the guilt that Cinderella was still able to show her that kindness even after all those horrible things have been done to her. But I like in this one that Danielle says to them. I am never going to think about you after today. After today, I don't even need to think about you anymore, but you are going to think about me and this moment for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I remember watching that with Christina and it was Christina's first viewing of it. And they were so thrilled by that line. Yeah. They were like snapping and they were like, yes, 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 yes. Because it's so satisfying to see that moment of, I don't care about you anymore. I don't need you in my life anymore because I am a better person, both like socially, circumstantially, but also I've always been a better person than you. And now I can finally be that person. Yeah, it's so powerful. And, you know, I, that's the one thing with like the, not the original, but the 2015 version where it's all about courage and kindness. And she says like something beyond the lines of, I forgive you. And, and it's just always like, ugh. But also, Kate Blanchett didn't literally whip her, and she didn't have step-siblings that burned her copy of Utopia and take her mother's dress and do all these things. Mm -hmm. And so it's so powerful when Denise says to the guards that are going to take um, the Baroness away, when she says... I want you to show her the same courtesy that she has shown towards me. And it, I love yeah. it. I've loved it since I was a kid. It's so amazing. It's such an amazing clapback. And again, like I respect immensely what the 2015 version was doing. But I think that this one, when you watch it after that, you can realize, yeah, Danielle is plenty courageous and she's so kind. But also, she's not going to take any crap from anybody. She's not going to take it from the prince. She's not going to take it from the king. And she's certainly not going to take it from her abusive stepmother when she's able to get out from under her thumb. Even, even when she is temporarily married off to Monsieur oh, Lepieux, which is a subplot I completely forget about every time. Um, she takes care of it herself. Like Prince Henry rides up and he's ready to go in. But as soon as he gets there and gets off his horse, Danielle's walking out like she's got it covered. She's good. Yeah, yeah. They somehow have the balance in this one uh, with Danielle is that she has those characteristics of being kind and selfless, like when she um, helps the slave get out of um, 
slave work. I don't know, the guy that worked on the fields with her, Maurice, right, Maurice. Um, And she, like, releases him from the prison of of being in a cage, which also, this is dark. Like, this stuff just went over my head. uh, Bound to the Americas. Jeez, yeah. Um, So she has those selfless qualities, but also she is super confident with who she is. And, you know, she does take the abuse of her stepmother and stepsister. She takes that too long. Like, she lets them walk over to her for way too long. But she kind of has, um, like, a balance of when she's like, okay, you've crossed the line. You have burned my book that my father gave me before he died. You have stolen and taken my mother's dress without even asking me. As you always say horrible things about my mother and you say she's dead and all this awful stuff. After you and, told me that would be my dress for the yes, ball. Literally. And that I is think, my dowry that <laughs> you have to give to my future husband. I know. It's just uh but I love that there's a limit to her that what she can take. Like this abuse stops now. And mm-hmm. and I think that's really, really good for for young girls and, and women to see that that you shouldn't take this. You shouldn't be looking for love if you're getting this in return. Yeah, and she's not all about, you know, finding a Prince Charming who can whisk her away from all this. She's so passionate about reading and education and making an actual difference, which is why I am so very certain that even though we don't see Henry and Danielle's reign, even though we don't see them ruling together, it's why I'm so certain she was one of the best queens (laughs) in France's history because she was so passionate about these really contemporary issues then and contemporary issues in terms of a Cinderella story now. Like, you don't often see Cinderella being like, yeah, I, I, a husband comes second to my want to be educated and help to educate others who can't afford it themselves. She, to an extent, was born into a life of privilege, not necessarily the same level of privilege that Henry was born into, but a level of privilege just the same. And so she wants to be able to extend those courtesies to other people who wouldn't have that opportunity otherwise. And it's Mm -hmm. so admirable. Yeah, they use that word, and and just watching it as an adult now, they use the word privilege a lot, which I think was really interesting because we hear that word a lot now, but we didn't really hear that word in the early 2000s and the the late 90s. So it was really nice hearing that and hearing a, a girl that knows what she wants, but she's not pushy, but, you know, she kind of, even with the prince, Henry, she has it on her terms. She decides, okay, you know what, I'm not going to let you talk about this with me or I'm gonna give you my opinion of this and she convinces him and he actually like um agrees with her he wants to build that university that university yeah he wants to do these things he wants to um there was something else he said when he walked oh he wants to bring the gypsies to the ball like there's all these interesting things that she helps him convinces him to do and and he just is so um, admired by her passionate attitude toward life and toward changing things and you know yes she's a farmhand that's another thing I love about this movie is it actually shows Cinderella working and getting her hands dirty and being a laborer because a lot of the time they kind of brush it off but gosh her fingernails are dirty like she is dirty (laughs) (laughs) and it's really nice to see that yeah for who knew a Cinderella movie from the late 90s could have an intriguing and engaging conversation and discussion surrounding class disparity? Who knew? Yeah. I yeah. certainly didn't. No, I, I, it's a powerful movie because um, I think it 
it just gets better every time you watch it, especially when you're older and older each time, which is yeah. really cool. But yeah, a lot yeah. of the stuff, I mean, when that the one part of this movie that I never could watch as a kid was when she was um, sent off to marry that creepy guy, Le Pew. Like, he made me so uncomfortable as a child that I always had to close I, my eyes. I forget about that subplot every single time. <laughs> I wish I and, could. Because he comes in... He comes in, like, halfway through the second act, and I'm like, why were you not introduced in the first act? I understand, but they're trying to fit in too much subplot to make Danielle's life terrible in yeah. that second act. Like, in that second act, we understand why her life is bad. We don't need yeah. an extra, extra villain plot. And don't get me wrong, seeing her take him down on her own, incredibly satisfying. Oh, and it yeah. reinforces that she is able to take care of herself. She doesn't need the prince, but she takes them anyway. Um, and I forget about it every time. And every yeah. time it makes me more uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't understand why it's there. I mean, I do understand why it's there. Um, but I don't understand why he wasn't introduced a little earlier in the movie. It feels yeah. a little, it feels forced. That's what he's it in, feels he's in, forced. He's in three scenes and I guess it makes us like hate the Baroness even more because she literally sells her stepdaughter to this creep. For marriage. Just so she can get all her furniture back. Oh my god. Furniture and that her husband bought before her. Yeah, that's another thing I forgot. I forgot about the whole subplot that items were missing. Um, and how she literally blames the servants for that and it comes out of their wages when she's the one that's selling it to Le Pure. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's a horrible think, person. Yeah, but I think that subplot is, like, very well established because it's established very early on that, you know, yeah. candlesticks are missing or a mirror is missing or something like that. It's very well established and followed through in very small ways, and the payoff is very good. It's just that it comes at the expense of this Le Pew storyline. Um, but I loved, I love Danielle and the Baroness's scene where the Baroness asks her, you know, where is, um, oh, what is it? What is she looking for in that scene? Like, oh, it's like the an, dress? It's like an, it's like, it's a dress. Yes, it's a dress. She asks, you know, where's the dress? And Daniel claps back with, where are the candlesticks? Yeah. Where are the tapestries? Like, she's fully aware of what her stepmother has done. And again, she's not afraid to call her stepmother out for it, no matter how bad the repercussions are going to be for her. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. When what's also interesting about that whole scene with oh my god, so powerful, but the fact that in this version the stepsister wants the mother's dress cuz usually when we think about the mother's dress in like the animated version and in the 2015 version, you know the step siblings laugh at her mother's dress and they cut it up and ruin it for her. And in this version, it's something that they want. Um and they trick her and they they literally take it from her. And they want Danielle, it only to spite her. They yeah, want it and, only to spite her. Yeah, and Danielle, you know, she I love when she punches Marguerite in the face. And, oh my uh, god. It's so satisfying. What I wish happened in there when she's running around, I wish like if I were her, I would have like taken before she burns the book, that awful, awful person. But I would have literally liked to have taken a scissor and cut off her hair and made it look really bad for the ball as I'm oh. chasing after. It'd be so satisfying I if that occurred. Over the table. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why Danielle didn't just leap over that table and just I pin know. her down. But, um, yeah, but the, the, the stakes, you know, with, with Marguerite holding, you know, her mother's slipper in one hand and her father's book, Utopia, that he gave her and, and, you know, 
making her choose between which one is going to go in the fire. And then when Danielle chooses the utopia, or when Danielle says, okay, fine, or take the shoe or whatever, she still throws the utopia book in the fire. I mean, these people are ruthless. Like, it's just horrific. And and Drew Barrymore's acting in that scene is so amazing. It's just so, mm-hmm. ugh, it just hurts my heart. I remember the first time I watched that scene, and there are quite a few things in this movie that surprised me, you know, the whole Le subplot, um, there, the, the, the fact that Danielle was so contemporary, um, the Leonardo da Vinci stuff all surprised me. I didn't anticipate that at all. The scene in about the middle of the movie where Danielle says, you know, the gypsies have captured them, and they're like, you can take anything you can carry, and oh, Danielle picks up the scene. prince over her shoulder. <laughs> That's my favorite scene. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes. Um, though my other favorite one is um, she's visiting her cousin. You know, her cousin. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I love when she's in her ever. undergarments. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, but that seems one of my other favorite ones where she punches Marguerite. I remember watching it for the first time having to rewind so I could watch it again. Oh, and I remember I remember watching it with Christina and Christina was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to back that up to watch it again because they also thought it was so incredibly satisfying. You don't often get to see Cinderella lash back. Um, at her mm. at her step siblings, and for Danielle to have that one moment of pure unadulterated rage at her sister because she's just crossed that line entirely is so satisfying. Because the, for most of the movie, the audience wants to punch Marguerite too. Uh. So to have that moment where Danielle does it, it feels like a release of tension for the audience, even though it's quickly brought back again with the yeah. uh, with the standoff between the shoe and the book. I love when she says she's a selfish, lazy cow. Oh my god, I mean, I'd have another term for her, but yeah. Sure. Every time, every time Danielle runs her mouth, I'm like, yes, go off. <laughs> yeah. My god. What did you think about, did you like Drew Barrymore in this role? Oh, of course. I mean, I don't really know her. I don't really know her for anything else outside of this. I watched E.T. when she does the movie she did when she was five. I watched that um, <laughs> with my parents many, many years ago, but I don't remember her much from it because it's been so long since I watched it. And I don't actively seek out Drew Barrymore movies usually. So this is what I know her most for, but I can see why so many people like her just from this one performance. It's so iconic, and it's so incredibly well done. Her accent's consistent throughout, which is great. Yeah. Her entrance to the ball is absolutely iconic. I saw a TikTok earlier today that was like, hello, these are my rankings of the best dramatic dress reveal girl has changed everything moments in movies. And his top one was Danielle's entrance to the ball because the dress, the wings, the makeup, the setting, that's one of the best balls I've ever seen in a Cinderella movie. Oh my God. And the fact that she like talks to herself a little bit before and the way the music swells and the whole audience just parts and Henry's got a hand on his dad's shoulders and he looks so struck. Ugh, it's just perfect. Yeah. I I think she's perfect in this role. I wouldn't I can't see anyone else in this role and you're right. Like I'm not a, a Drew Barrymore watcher either. I think I haven't seen E.T. since I was a little kid too and I saw he's just not that into you. So only about like 3 of her movies the, and you know they're not like the big ones that she always is known for with 
the rom-coms with Adam Sandler, which I've never seen. But um, what I like is her, yeah, her accent is so consistent. But what's also so interesting about her is she's one of the, still one of the few uh, actresses to transition from childhood acting to adult acting roles. And I'm pretty sure that this movie was kind of her first more mature role, which is so cool. Like what a great first movie to do in your adult career. Yeah, like, you know, most people would hear that you're doing a Cinderella a story and, be, and write it off as something very childish because they're so familiar with the Disney animated version. But getting this version in the 90s where Danielle is so fiery and so contemporary, it must have just blown people's socks off. It's still, I guess it has, considering it's it stayed in the cultural zeitgeist for so long. Like, now yeah. it's it's still in the process of becoming a Broadway musical. I know they held out-of-town tryouts um, in 2019, which some audio has been circulated from, and it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Um, I know they had a recent workshop presentation with Christy Altamar from the Anastasia musical as Danielle, oh. which I think is a phenomenal casting choice. At the out-of-town tryouts with Sierra Bajas, who's most prominently known for Phantom of the Opera uh, on Broadway, uh, and in the West End, they had her as Danielle. Also, great casting choice. And some of the costumes that came out of that are super cool. I wish it would hurry up. I just wish oh it would hurry gosh. up because I'm desperate to see it on stage. But, no, it the, the, the performance of Danielle itself obviously was enough to keep this movie in the cultural zeitgeist. And then the great performances from the production design first of all the, oh, the yeah. all the costumes and sets and stuff are absolutely great but then you throw in angelica houston and it's just a win-win all around uh when COVID is over i want to see this on the stage that's amazing mm -hmm. wow that's such a cool idea but yeah the even though this movie is like 23 years old now um it just it feels really modern and i was thinking because i went into this and i was like wow this movie is two hours long like i didn't remember that and it really doesn't feel like it it just goes really fast and it's just it just keeps you enthralled uh, drew is so good in it and and you just really root for her character and you root for the prince like i like the prince in this movie i don't usually like the princes in these movies yeah drew's magnetic on screen and she's really well matched with, the, with mm -hmm. the, the actor who plays Prince Henry. She's really well matched all around. Um, but the actor who plays Prince Henry, you can tell that they have so much chemistry together. Even in there's like small scenes when they first meet, they have such good bouncing off of each other. They're really great there. Um, and in the later scenes too, where they really have to sell the romance and her trying to tell him that she's not who she is, but he keeps being so insistent about it. It just breaks my heart every time. And yeah. you can it feels like he genuinely does care about her. And he's she's there it's not just a ten minutes ago moment and suddenly he's madly in love with her. There's yeah. no insta love here. It's very much a relationship that's built over time. Granted it's very, you know, tight results. Um it's like five days basically. Yeah. Um but it's it's built over time. And it's really well done, even though she's pretending to be somebody else very early on. Um, it's it's a, it is a true and honest relationship. She's just using a fake name. She's not using a fake personality. She's able to be yeah. herself, and it's really really lovely to see. And they have like this intellectual conversations together and an intellectual approach. And he has 
respect for her, which is really nice. He, uh, they have these conversations, and I also always forget that she really is into books, and they go to the library together, and she wants a university, because you usually always associate princesses and books with Belle from Beauty and the Beast. So it's really cool that Cinderella in this version is intelligent. She loves to read. She loves politics. She has all these really interesting ideas. She's um, sees people as equal, um, and she wants she doesn't want any slaves to be taken to the Americas. Like she's such a ballsy girl. Yeah, and I mean you have to consider too that Beauty and the Beast came out in 1991, the original animated movie, and I mean it made such a splash. It was nominated for an Academy Award for crying yeah. out loud. Um, so you can't help but think that in the development of this movie, they said, well, clearly this is something that families and girls are attracted to and they don't want a conventional princess story anymore so we're going to take some of those elements those contemporary elements of a outspoken young woman who isn't going to take anything from anybody and who's going to make the best of her bad situation we're going to take those elements and imbue it into a cinderella story that is grounded in so much history and so much real circumstance it it's a perfect blend and i think it's really well done i didn't i didn't even think about that but then i just looked up when beauty and the beast came out oh, and yeah. they're only seven years apart so it's, okay. it's interesting to think about if some of those elements from beauty and the beast people at fox saw that and like and were like well it worked for them let's yeah. apply it to cinderella and see how it shakes out yeah, we don't want to see a princess ra- waiting to be rescued. And, and and throughout the film, she's never waiting to be rescued. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci, I love him in this. He's basically her fairy godmother, which is so cool. But she really doesn't need a fairy godmother. She knows what she wants. She loves this prince with who she is, uh, with who he is because they can have these conversations together and he respects her. And it's just, it's so refreshing still to see because there's not enough of these movies. <laughs> Yeah, he already. She already has the dress. She already has the looks. He he just gives her those wings, and they have that great exchange where you know, if, if a fish and a bird fall in love, where are they to yeah. live? And he says, "Well, I'm just gonna have to give you wings," and then he does. And the fact that he only acts to boost her up instead of giving her a magic solution to everything, and. Even when he goes to rescue her, that's the one time she needs help from somebody else outside. And even then, it's Gustav who goes and gets him. He doesn't have a divine premonition or anything. He's told by somebody via Danielle that she needs help. And he (laughs) knows that she is right for Henry. He can tell that connection is there. It's 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 incredibly well done. I always laugh a little bit that, like, why is Leonardo da Vinci here? But... This clo- the further you get into the movie, it becomes less silly. Yeah. And I think it really works in the movie's favor. And because it provides a really interesting sort of figure for Danielle to bounce off of. Somebody who's older and wiser, but is still just as learned. And somebody who cares as much, just, uh, just as much as she does. Yeah, and I love this scene when he's walking on water and she's swimming and thing. the backstory is so funny. But what's important about Leonardo da Vinci is that he's the one that creates that gorgeous painting of her, which is actually, I think, based off of one of his 
his works, which is super interesting because we didn't really mention, but um, at the beginning of the film, there's like a narrator, kind of like in Titanic, this old lady talking, and uh, she um, has the Brothers Grimm come to her house, and it's about, I don't know, like, 100 200 years later from when oh, these events years actually, later. 200, yeah yeah these events took place she mentions the french revolution so this would be like after the mid 1700s right yeah this it's is really post may liz this is post les mis yes is- <laughs> so the brothers Grimm are there because they've published the story of cinderella and um, Danielle's great-great-great-granddaughter wants to set the record straight of how it really came to be and that there really was a Cinderella and she has that gorgeous painting in her in her living room yeah. and then we see how that came about and how that painting was was drawn by Leonardo da Vinci so I love that full circle concept oh yeah I think the frame narrative is really good I really like it because you know when I first when I first watched the movie I was like okay well this old lady's clearly going to be old Drew Barrymore and that's <laughs> how it's going to be um, but then when I saw how far back they went, I was like, oh, well, maybe her daughter, maybe her grand. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly when the grand brother, when the brother's grand lived. Surely it wasn't like that far removed. But when she said, you know, my great, great grandmother, like had this palace, ha- had this portrait hanging in the palace and it was there till the French Revolution. I was like, wow, we've really skipped through. Yeah. This is a really big frame narrative. And I think it's really important to show not only the impact that the Cinderella story had on so many generations before that with uh, Perot's original version and then the Brothers Grimm version, um, but it's also, I think, really important so that people don't sort of brush it off as like, oh, it's another old lady telling a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually has it, it's it's it appears once at the beginning and once at the end. It's not overdone. And it's a really compelling frame narrative. It's a really compelling idea to think about, you know, this old lady who is telling this story um, but but we don't hear it. We see it play out as she's telling it to the Brothers Grimm. It's really, yeah. really well done. Yeah, you're right. It isn't overdone. She doesn't come in the middle and is like, oh, hi again. I'm back. Like, there's none of that. She's just at the beginning and at the very end, and it, and it works. And it's a good the, bookend. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're reading a historical fiction. It's such a cool movie. Um, yeah, I, I also want to just quickly talk about the gorgeous score that was by George Fenton. I love the music oh. in this. Oh, the score. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I I had heard the like opening theme, the theme that plays over those opening credits, um, years before I watched the movie, because it was just in like an instrumental playlist that I found this will throw you back on eight tracks. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the app, not the actual eight track tape. <laughs> Um, but I found it on eight tracks and I was, it was in a mix. And so I didn't think anything of it. And I remember really loving it then. And then when I went and watched the movie for the first time in my second year of university, I think, um, I heard it and I was like, Oh wait, this is where that score comes from. This is it. Oh, Hey, wow. So I remember being completely surprised and it just, it suits the movie so well. It carries it through so well. And like the music is so good in, in those opening credits and over the end credits too, but I I will never ever forget. Like I love I love me a good ball scene because the music is always so good in them, but I will never ever ever get over that moment where that where the music swells when Danielle enters the ball and the audience just parts like the Red Sea and makes way for her and Henry, 
And it just, it makes me so emotional every time because I'm just like, this is what true love feels like. Yes, it's it's really realistically done. Also like the ball scene because the stepmother and the stepsisters actually recognize her because in some Cinderella adaptions, I don't know if it's because the fairy godmother did her magic, but they don't recognize her. And they're always like, who is that girl at the ball? And it's like, come on, you don't know the person you've lived with? <laughs> well, they already know that Danielle's been masquerading as the contest, right? Right, so, that's true. Because there's no fairy godmother, uh, because she's been ma- doing this masquerade for so much longer, there's no reason to wonder, like, why the hell is Danielle here? Um, there's There's no reason to wonder that. And so... Yeah, no, I think it's... I, I'm a little disappointed they didn't give the prince and Danielle at least one dance to, like, I talk know. it out. I'm really... <laughs> so humiliating. I every time. I'm so mad we have to go straight to the cruelty of the ripping of the dress and the yeah. acu- accusations. But I understand why they couldn't because we have other stuff to get to. Yeah. We've still got a whole third act to go through. But, like, all that and then... Okay, this is the flaw of the prince. He is the worst listener. Like... Come on, dude. She literally has said so many times, I need to speak to you. I need to speak to you. And he's just like, oh, hello, everybody. This is the person I'm going to marry. Like, <laughs> Yeah. No, he's, he's just like, okay, yes, fine. Whatever it is. Yes, I accept. And I'm just yeah. like, sitting here like, it's not a yes or no question. Yeah. It's not. This is not something you can option in or out of. This is factual information. I need to tell you because it's imperative to my safety right yeah. now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm he's, literally he's risking really everything bad to be at that. here. I'm literally risking everything to be here, and you are just saying yes, whatever you want. No, it's not whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, that's the one annoying. Like, oh my god, dude, listen to her. You listen to her when she says build a university. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. that's the, that. He's. I still really like the prince, and I like Jacqueline a lot, and I like that guy she meets at the ball. That when they're both dressed up as horses. Oh, they're both dressed so as cute. horses. <laughs> My guilty pleasure in Cinderella stories is when they give a sister a redemption arc and a love interest all yeah. in one fell swoop. It brings me so much joy because I have really, really fond memories of the Cinderella 2, two. <laughs> v- like VHS or DVD or whatever it was, where they have that story of Anastasia and the baker falling in love and like showing yeah. that the stepsister, even though she was evil, is also deserving of love. I love when villains or villain-adjacent characters are shown to be also deserving of love. I I think it's so interesting and it adds a layer of complexity, but also is a great, like, addition to a redemption arc, which is what it is here. And it transforms the stepsister from pure villain to a bit of an anti-hero. It's just, it's so well done. I just, I, also, I just love it. I also love the old people love when the Maurice comes home from being a slave and they run oh, together across the field. Oh, that ru- <laughs> the, her, her running is so sweet, and you can and they keep saying, you know, oh, I missed you so much. I missed you so much. I'm so glad you're safe. And yeah. I mean, it's a very real sort of representation of what older people had to go through, especially if a house was in more dire straits. But like considering the fact that they would have never seen each other again if it not for Danielle, like it just and the fact that they take her in and sort of act as parental figures for her, it just uh, it won't, it, the, all the love in this movie is so incredibly well done. Even the yeah. lingering little tiny bits of affection between uh, Henry's mom and dad are really well done. Because you can tell, you know, that maybe they're not 
in love together anymore, but you can tell that they are in it together and they want to support each other how best they can. They want to support their son the best they can. They just have differing ideas as to how to do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The characters in this are so good. I love that they take the time where we get to know everybody and they get all these arcs, like you said, and, and, and they're just really well developed. It's, it's so nice. You feel like you know them. Nothing about them feels forced. Nothing about them feels like you did. it comes out of nowhere. Nothing about them feels yeah. like it's unjustified. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, before we go to The Last Judgment, I have some fun facts. Oh, lay it <laughs> on There's actually me. a lot on this one. But um, apparently Drew Barrymore has said that this was her favorite film to ever, ever work on. Um, well, and she said, yeah, she was 22 at the time and she said she did extensive research and even read the novel Utopia and loved it. And, uh, she said, um, quote, when addressing girls and women, she said, quote, uh, it's love at the end of the day, not the rescuing that we're striving for, which I think is a really cute thing to say. Cause it's yeah. true. That's what Danielle strives for. Ugh. No, that's so unsurprising. Like, it looked like it was such a fun movie to shoot, especially oh, yeah. with the costumes and the, the, the camaraderie between the actors you can easily tell is there. Yeah. So this budget for the movie was $26 million, And you know how much money it made back? How much? $98 million. Woohoo! I mean, yeah. by today's standards, that's probably... It's probably... Like that's that's very well done. That's 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 extremely well done. Because movies today, a, a sort of marker as to how they do is if they can pass the century mark in non-pandemic times. If they can pass the one hundred million dollars mark, yeah. And so, adjusting for inflation, it would have passed the one hundred million mark, which is so cool. Um, and I mean, for 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 nineteen ninety eight, ninety eight million ain't nothing to sniff at. No, and and twenty six million that was pretty good to film this whole movie in. in yeah, that's I'm surprised not even, it was that's low. I'm surprised it was that quote unquote cheap. Yeah, <laughs> um, there aren't any casting what ifs with Danielle. It seemed like it was always going to go to Drew Barrymore, but um, the only other person that was going to play the prince was Jude Law, but he turned it down. So okay, oh. whatever, dude. <laughs> Oh, Jude Law would have been so interesting as a prince. I know. I don't, I don't know young Jude Law. I can't accurately say if that's good or bad, but I think it would have been really interesting. Yeah, I've seen I him. Definitely... Sorry. No, you go on. No, I've seen him in one movie, which I think is his best performance in The Talented Mr. Ripley, which was from 1999. And I think he would have been perfect. I just think he would have been a bit too arrogant for the role. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I don't think this is the most attractive prince there's ever been in a Cinderella adaptation. I think that honor goes to one Richard Madden in the 2015 <laughs> Cinderella. I could stare into those eyes forever. That movie is a bisexual nightmare. Because uh, I'm like, Lily James, Richard Madden, Lily James, Richard Madden. They're too beautiful. Um, <laughs> Even but, I can I relate mean, to that one. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets God, Lily James is so hot. <laughs> I know. Um, but no, I mean, this guy, this guy is Henry. He gets the job done. I've never seen him in anything else besides this, but he gets the job done. What yeah. he what he lacks in uh, like what we would consider princely looks now, he makes up for an intelligent conversation. So at least there's that. Um, so you can actually visit the actual castle that it was set at. Um, this movie was filmed in France. 
Um, but it was a lot of it was filmed at the Chateau de Hotfort, which is in France's Dordogne region. So that's cool. Oh, cool. I mean, I've always wanted to go around Europe and visit all these old castles. It's a bucket list item for me to go to St. Petersburg in Russia and go and see all the old Romanov palaces. It's a it's a high tier bucket list trip for me. But I've also like I want to see all these old castles. They all look so beautiful. I know, and they're so gorgeous. I can't imagine like even like um, I don't know if you ever watched Downton Abbey, but oh. filming in Highclere Castle oh, must have been yeah. amazing. Oh, I've watched all of Downton Abbey, including the movie. I know that <laughs> castle better than I probably know my own home. <laughs> oh, we should do the movie sometime oh, on absolutely. this then. <laughs> uh, my my mom probably won't listen to this. I got her the movie for her birthday. Um, because she hasn't seen it yet. So I'm very oh. excited to rewatch it. It hit me. Oh, anyway, that's another conversation. The painting was actually based off of one of Leonardo DiCaprio's... Uh, sorry, Leonardo. <laughs> Wrong Leonardo. Try again. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci's painting. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, I'm, so, I'm just trying to find the fact it's... Oh, here. Sorry. Uh, her pat, uh, her portrait um, is modeled after one of his works called, I'm going to get this wrong, but La Scapigleta, um, after a, a woman. Sure. So, <laughs> cool. Sure. We'll, we'll say that's how that's pronounced. Sorry to any Italian listeners yeah. that might be. So sorry. I'm just a child. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, I'd get more I'm out at the slip of DiCaprio over Da Vinci there if I were you. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. I'm sure it's not the first time or the last time it will happen. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's the end of my facts. (laughs) There's not Uh, that many. Well, I mean, that's understandable. The fact that it was always going to be Drew Barrymore is really interesting to me. Like they they must have written this role with her in mind if it was always going to go yeah very more that happens sometimes and again the fact that this was her first like movie as a quote-unquote adult after being most well known for being a child actor is really impressive like this was a great gig oh my gosh and a great way to show off her her acting skills because i think she's always been a bit underestimated because she never really technically went to acting school so it's really amazing that she worked with like you know the great angelica houston and all these people so early in her career and she Um, held her own incredibly well yeah she totally did um it's uh, i can't wait if i have children one day to show this to my children because i think it's just an amazing amazing Uh. film me too. This is this and Cinderella 2015 are the only yeah. Cinderella movies they are ever allowed to watch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think I watched... Yeah, when I watched the Cinderella 2015 version, I had seen the... Yeah, I had definitely seen the Ever After, but um, but yeah, I kind of forgot about Ever After after that one, after that one, because I... I don't know, I, I've dropped that one, and then rewatching it now, I'm really happy that I've rewatched it, because I, I do like... Lily James a lot in that role, but I love how powerful Drew Barrymore uh, is as Danielle and how she has this great integrity and values and she she wants to be treated with respect. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Well, should we move on to the final judgment? I think we've already kind of, I've already said how I felt about it. <laughs> I think it's time. <laughs> okay, so did Ever After move you or not? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, what can I say that I haven't already said? It's charming. It's funny. This movie's surprisingly funny. It's It hits all the right notes that it needs to for a Cinderella movie, but the way that it is so grounded in real issues and real problems and real people all the people feel like real people in this movie it's just besides leonardo da vinci who obviously was a real person <laughs> um no it, it's just it's one of the best princess movies of all time if not the best cinderella adaptation objectively yeah yeah every time i watch this movie it moves me the performances of everyone is just amazing and i I see things that I never saw before or subplots that I forgot about. And and again, like it's two hours, but it doesn't feel like two hours because of the beautiful costumes and the cinematography and that it's actually filmed on location and not like somewhere in Burbank Studios, which is really neat as well. Yeah, it and, makes you feel like you're there. And I just love the fact that she knows the prince and that they meet before the ball or before just quickly riding on the horse bareback and it's just so nice that they have that kind of relationship first a friendship then kind of like the Darcy Elizabeth thing going on and then they Mm -hmm. are in love with one another and and they both challenge each other and she definitely challenges him and I I just love all their scenes together I love that I didn't talk about the undergarment scene but I think it's so funny especially when you (laughs) mentioned she carries him and she's just she's so confident for who she is and all these men you know like even the gypsies you like them they laugh they're like saying oh my gosh you can stay with us we'll give you a horse like she has this appeal over everybody everyone loves her well except for you know the stepmother and stepsister but but they all adore her and and I think she would have made a great queen it would have been interesting to see if I mean I'm glad they didn't make a sequel but to see what it would have been like how they would have reigned together. It would have been really interesting, but I know they would have been good. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to thank you, Hannah, for coming back on the show. Oh, of course. It's, I'm always happy to chat about movies, especially good ones. Yes. And I'm really glad we got to do this one. And I have to say, since we almost have our, uh, a thousand plays on this podcast, the most popular episode to date, which is still being played right now, is Dash and Lily. So everyone hey! really loved you, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't know why you guys want to listen to Christmas stuff in June, but, you know, do what hey. you like. It's COVID. Hey, it snowed. It snowed in Newfoundland the other day. Christmas yeah. is an all-year affair. Yeah, I think it's so hilarious that people are still, like, listening to Alf and Dash and Lily in May and June. But, I mean, <laughs> keep going on it. I love it. And um, yeah. if you have any film suggestions, anyone out there, you can email me at emmareviewsmovies at gmail.com. I'll put it in the caption. And we'll probably just do one, maybe two more films in this in this theme and then... We will have to move on to another one. So anyways, thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for listening.